Life can take us on unexpected paths that leave us with emotional wounds and scars. But these scars do not have to be a burden that we carry alone. I'm Jocelyn Biederset, a childhood sexual assault survivor, and this is Invisible Scars, a podcast where we connect and learn from those who have come out stronger on the other side of trauma. So I am so excited to be sitting down today with trauma recovery coach, Allie Cates. She has had an incredible story of resilience, and we dive in today how she tragically lost seven people that she loves in a span of two and a half years. She was diagnosed with Lyme disease three months before her wedding, and we also get into how she is a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. Today's episode is filled with Allie's incredible perspective on trauma, how it is stored in the body, and what she's doing in the trauma space to help others guide their way through this. I know you guys are going to love today's episode, so let's get into it. I'm so excited to have you here today, Allie Cates. I've been following you on Instagram for quite a while, actually, and I love what you are doing. I love your initiative on how trauma is stored on the body, and we'll kind of get into that. But I start out each episode with a little icebreaker and kind of get to know you. And I would love to know, you know, what you're doing as a coach and what you do for yourself, kind of what your clients know, what they should be doing and advice to kind of get through those hard times and help with your healing. So if you want, I'll go first and kind of get us started. I've been using something called the superhuman app for a while. It's a meditation app. And for some reason it has helped me so much, but lately I've starting a podcast and running a different business. I've completely let it go. And I really see the difference in the way I react to things, the way I sleep, the way I'm moving through motherhood. And this week I'm trying really hard to get back into that and start my days with it because it just sets the tone for my whole day. Yes. Same, same, same. I just first want to say thanks for having me. I just adore what you're doing. So I'm really excited to be here. And I would say for me, it's meditation as well. I started off doing, um, do you know Melissa Wood Health? Yes. Melissa Wood Tepperberg. Yeah. Yes. I love her. I love her. So her stuff is so good. And she Mm -hmm. has a couple other creators on her platform now. Um, I love her creator, Erica. I can't remember her last name, but she's like in, in inhale, exhale or something. Yes. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yes. And I've done like a one-on-one with her as well. So I have it like pre-recorded and I love her just kundalini breath work yeah. and meditation. It like really helps to set me up for success. But I will say like that in like journaling and not being on my phone for at least the first like hour to hour and a half upon waking up is like so crucial for my own mental health and to like tap into my own energy before yes. I tap into anyone else's. Yeah, that's amazing. I have a really hard time with the phone thing in the morning, especially launching a new business too. I'm so eager in the morning and I want to respond to every single person that's reached out to me. And that is something I definitely, I need to work on. Yeah, it's hard, especially when you're like so excited to like respond back to people and you're like, what's the feedback? Are they listening? How are they liking it? Totally. Yes. And when people are sharing their stories with you, I, it's so important to me to respond quickly because I don't want them sitting there thinking, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I, sh- I was too vulnerable. I said too much, yeah. right? And so yeah. I always want to make sure that I'm responding so quickly. But also you're right, setting those boundaries for my own mental health, right? Yeah. You should have an auto responder. Like, hey, if I don't respond back with That's a great like, idea. Like, it doesn't mean that I'm ignoring you, you know, so that people yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually a really good idea. I know I'm learning all this as I go, but yeah, yeah. it's amazing. <laughs> so I'm so excited to have the opportunity to connect with you today. Being able to 
be in contact with somebody who has been through traumatic experiences like you, which we'll get into and has come out the other side and is really sharing that and sharing their joy and sharing what they've done to get to that point to help others. I just think it's so important. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I do too. I think that you don't hear a lot of it. It's still taboo. People still don't think trauma can happen to you if you haven't been to war. Like we still think that even though horrible things happen to people. Yeah. Um, So I appreciate you saying that. And yeah, I mean, I think it's the more we can share our stories. Like I always think of Brene Brown's quote, which is like, your story is going to be someone else's survival guide. And I know that to be true for my own healing journey is like listening to what someone's been through, but seeing how they've overcome it and what they're doing with it now. Like that's, that's like my kind of true North when I'm looking ahead at stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. I totally agree with you. It's funny because oftentimes, especially on social media, you're so eager to learn how someone looks a certain way. You want to know what they're eating, how they're exercising, exactly what they're doing. And you want a step-by-step process of how they're looking a certain way. And I think it's also equally as important, more important, honestly, to know how we came out the other side of this, which is why I wanted to do this podcast and speak to people exactly like you, because that's what I want to know. That's like, that's called longevity, right? Like that's going to help us generation after generation. Yeah. I think that's so true. Yeah. I love your title, like the invisible scars, right? Because it's like people don't see what you're hiding and like what is your scar and what used to be a gaping wound and like, yes, you know, and now that you have it and it is a scar, it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt anymore. Like I talk about this. So yeah, I love that. I love the message. Yeah. It's so true because we often put a mask, right? Like I, I really, you probably did the same and just make sure that people didn't know what was going on, that you were okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I was like bubbly people pleaser all the time. And then the second that I started to do the work, people were like, I can't relate to you anymore. Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you people pleasing? And it's like, because I'm actually working on this part of me that is a coping strategy from childhood trauma, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's this thing that goes around Instagram and it's so funny because it's like, my fear is that if I heal from my trauma, I won't be funny anymore. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so true. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't think I'm that funny anymore. I'm actually a lot more in tune with myself and I'm not trying to please everybody through humor or making them like happy in some sort of way. I'm really just focusing on me. That couldn't be more true, I feel. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I'm so excited to get into your story though, because it is honestly, you have such an incredible story of loss and resilience and helping and coming out the other side. And just a bit backstory, I'm going to let you kind of take the lead here, but you lost seven people in two and a half years, Mm -hmm. three of them back to back. Mm -hmm. And then three weeks before your wedding, if I'm not, yeah, you were diagnosed with Lyme disease. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can't imagine what that did to you. And at such a young age, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was. Yeah. So my story really starts at 22 is my husband and I lose he was my boyfriend then, but husband now, but we lose three people in nine and a half months. And it brought up all of this suppressed trauma that I literally had disassociated from, like completely didn't have memories of them. And I had been to like talk therapy, counseling. I had tried like different techniques like CBT, EMDR for my own healing and none of them really seemed to move the needle. And so I remember at 22, like having this really big moment where I'm like, I've tried all these things for my mental health, like what's going on? And I remember feeling really low, having like suicidal ideation, like had never felt this low before. And 
specifically like there's this moment where we're on a bike and I'm like, I just need to get out of the house because I felt this like itchy, like wanted to tear my skin off kind of feeling. I can't even like, I know you know this, but like I, I can't yes. relate to you right yes. now so well. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like I couldn't put it into words. And I remember just being like, Ryan, we need to get out of the house and go for a bike ride. Cause I was like, I just need to move because I can't stay in here because I just am like worried what's going to happen. So we're on a bike ride. And earlier that day, I had called someone that had like a trauma recovery space in our town. And I called them, left a message and he called me back. He's like, what's going on? And I'm kind of telling him what's going on. He's like, you're probably not going to believe me, but like I've worked with veterans for 40 years. And I started to move into helping civilians because they can get trauma as well. And you have trauma and this is what's showing up. And I was like, there's no way, right? Like, even though when we talk about these big T traumas, like I had been raped at 15, but I never thought that that was like a big T trauma because I was like just shoving it under the rug, not thinking it was what it was, dismissing Mm. it, right? Yeah, I totally get that. Actually, from my own sexual abuse, I used to think when I was a teenager, I would think, what is wrong with me? Why isn't this bothering me? Like I thought there was something wrong with me, but I was just shoving it down like you did so deep that I just was gone. Yeah. So disassociated from it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, that was someone else. That was like a dream or like something else that happened, not happened to me. Right. Yeah. And so then kind of fast forward, I'm in about three and a half, four years of like intense trauma recovery. And three weeks before our wedding, I get diagnosed with late stage chronic Lyme and like a whole host of other autoimmune conditions. And I knew enough about trauma at that point that I knew that this was like my body being like, F you, you've been in fight or flight for so long. Now you're actually living in your body and you're seeing that something's wrong. Like I had been living so disconnected that I couldn't even tell that something was off with my body. Right. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. Your body knows. Your body oh my keeps gosh. score. Oh yeah. So well. And so I had had um sexual abuse in my childhood as well. And I knew that like this was a big part of it that was coming up at this point in my trauma recovery. And it, these were the memories that I had really shoved down and suppressed. Um and I just remember thinking like I'm at a loss. Like, this is going to break me. Like, and so we came back from our honeymoon, sat in an IV room for nine and a half months, had like a dark night of the soul kind of moment and was like, I have to turn this into good. I have to help other people with this because everyone thinks that they're alone when they're going through trauma recovery. Nobody thinks. I remember thinking like my stuff is so deep and dark that like no one can relate to me because it's so deep and dark. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. What do you think it was that pushed you? I mean, obviously so much had happened to you in that amount of time and for you to recognize it, was it the feeling in your body? Is that what made you think like, okay, this is it. I've got to figure this out. Cause you could have really gone another way. Right. So I had had health stuff from like the age of 13. So when my sexual abuse stopped was the last time it happened, I was 13. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I got diagnosed with like hypothyroidism and like they were trying to figure this out, right? Like my body was like clearly telling us something, but it was, I don't know, 15 years prior, right? Yeah. And so I remember going back to doctors and they would just always say like, you're fine, your medicine should be taking care of it. And so I just had to, once again, overrun my body, like overread my body and what it was telling me. Because these doctors were like, you should be feeling better and you're not. So then I thought something was wrong with me. And no one looked at like psychological 
trauma, any of that. No one was talking about that. No one does. Yeah. When you go to a mm-hmm. doctor, right? They always just want to throw medication at it. Yes. And then I remember thinking like at that time I was 13. So this is like, I don't know, early 2000s. Them saying like, if you don't start feeling better soon, we're going to put you on like depression and anxiety medication. And at that time, it was like very much there's something wrong with you, right? Because then you would have to leave class to go and like take this medication at a certain time. So I was determined to just tell myself that like everything was fine. Mm-hmm. And that was when I completely started even more disassociating from my body, right? So then kind of fast forward when I'm in intense trauma recovery, my body's continually telling me like I was fainting at night. Like these were signs that like I couldn't ignore at this point. And that's when I was like, there's something off and I need to go get a test. And so I went to like, I think I was working with like a naturopathic doctor at the time. She was like, we're going to test you for this one strand. And I was like, can you run the whole panel? And she's like, well, it's a little bit more money. And I was like, and she's like, I think you're fine. Like you look great, everything. And I'm like, she's like, I think that you're overreacting. And I was like, if I'm overreacting and I'm being a hypochondriac, we can talk about that. But like first just run the test, you know? That's also traumatizing in itself. Like (laughs) it's also why it's another layer of how victims are silenced, right? Like we're Mm -hmm. afraid to tell what's happened to us because people A, won't believe us or you look fine. Of course, of Mm -hmm. course you look fine. Of course you look fine. Yeah. You're surviving. You're literally in survival mode. Yeah. Yeah. Literally in survival mode. That is unbelievable. Oh, that is so sad. Yeah. And then it came back with the, it came back with three co-infections and then Lyme. So she was like, I would have never have guessed. And then it was a whole journey. And then there were like multiple autoimmune conditions. And it's been a it's been a big health journey, but I'm doing really great now and like yeah. fully, almost fully healed from Lyme disease. So it's it's, it's amazing. Yeah, it's been a journey. Yeah, it's amazing. And it just brings up a really good point too, especially with mental health, because you can't see it, right? But to be an advocate for your own health. And it's almost a little bit scary because when it comes to mental health, it's really hard to stand up and say, hey, I have something going on here. And then when you have to advocate for your own self for that, like that's really, really difficult. It's very challenging. And I mean, this is just kind of like the the thread through and through, right? Is like, it's not seen. So people are like, you don't look sick. You look great. Oh my God, you're working out twice a day and you're like teaching a bar class. Like I was teaching Pilates at the time and like working nine to five and doing a big event. And they're like, you look great and like losing weight. And it's like, okay, I'm also fainting every night. And like, you don't see like my emotional state is going up and down. Like no one was seen that because I wasn't showing them. Or cluing in that you are keeping yourself so busy that you don't have to feel anything or think anything real, right? Hundred percent. Yeah, I was. I was just. I was in fight mode. Like really. Like I was just fighting for everything for my life, for my mental health. Like, and that's that kind of mode I was really comfortable with. So I was comfortable completely ignoring my body through that whole time until it like hit me in the face and was like, "Wake up, sister." Totally. Yeah, you were comfortable going hundred miles an hour at all times, right? I always would tell people, "Is like I thrive under stress." Same. Oh my gosh. Exact same. Yes. A hundred percent. Even my husband to this day is like, you know, you really do better under pressure. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Yeah. It's uh is it like post-traumatic resilience, maybe, but like to a point. Yeah. (laughs) Totally. So funny. And so you met this, what would you call him? A healing coach? 
He was a psychotherapist for 40 years and then he went into more coaching. So yeah. Into coaching. Okay. And you went through EDMR. What other types of therapy did you do? Yeah. So before I found him, I did EMDR, CBT, like cognitive behavioral therapy. I did the neuroplasticity, hypnotherapy. Mm, There was another like brain rewiring one. I can't remember the specific Mm -hmm. name. Regular talk therapy, counseling. Yeah. None of them are working for you. Mm-mm, because they don't deal with the body. A hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. So what got you into coaching? What pushed yeah. you into doing that? COVID, really. I remember I stopped the IV room in like January, February of 2020. And I was building my business kind of inside of the IV room, working on it when I could. And I was like, I'm going to do a healing retreat. I'm going to have all these different types of like healing techniques and people can try them on. Cause I really do believe that like mm-hmm. in order to find that one tool that works for you to get into your body, it takes time. Right. And so that was my goal is to have a healing retreat and then COVID hits and I'm like, well, crud, I can't do that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then it was like, I had to be the face of my company and that was another kind of like growth healing moment as well. Cause I always just wanted to take a back seat. I wanted to be like the wizard of Oz. Like I wanted to just be in the background. I loved running events that way. And so for me, it was like, you need to go back and become a coach and get training and get your certification, all this stuff, because that's like what, you know, the universe is kind of pushing you into is like showing up in this big way. I mean, I tell people that you know, if you asked me five years ago, I would be like, there's no way you could get me into trauma recovery in any sort of capacity, like in a, in a profession. Yeah. You were just completely put off by it. Yeah. I mean, and I was so like in it, like, and I think we always are like, there's different layers to it, but some of them, like at that point I was, it was so heavy for me, right? Like so, so heavy that I was like, there's no way this is exhausting. I would never do this. I would never want to talk about it. Ew. No. I love that. You know, one thing you shared with us before the show was that you thought that people need a place to process their grief and develop strategies to transform their lives. And I love this. There is so little of this in the world. And I love that you've created a space for people to be able to do that. It is so needed. It is so needed in this world. And I bet I would guess it's just like completely fulfilled you. Yeah, it really has. I mean, it's been a really, thank you for saying that. I mean, it's healing for me as well, right? Like when you can help other people and you can sit with them in that space and tell them like, look, I know exactly what you're feeling. Like I I can empathize with you and sympathize with you, right? But like, I promise you it's going to get better because that's what I needed to hear. I needed to hear that like someone had been through the, you know, hell and back and like still was able to get through it. And so it's very fulfilling. It's something that has like helped me heal personally because there's no way, like my mentor told me, told me, he's like, this is a quick and dirty way to heal is you step into it with other people. And the thing you thought that you healed from is going to come back, you know, because it's just going to like ignite the thing in you again. And I'm like, yeah, for sure. I'm, you know, but I would never choose anything else because it is rewarding to see people finally find their power to recognize that they're more than just what's happened to them and that they're not a victim, like that they are more than that. Like that has been so huge and like just there's no amount of money that like that could take away, you know, that feeling of being like, I get it. 
Yeah, totally. I love that you said that. You know, I used to say that I thought what happened to me was actually a psychological life sentence. And it's not. Like now that I've really dove into it, I I know that it's not. It's actually what's fueling me this podcast and hearing people's stories. Everyone would ask me, isn't that going to be super triggering for you? Like, isn't this going to be really hard? But it's actually quite the opposite. Like it's empowering, right? Just like you said. Yeah, it's so empowering. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing you shared with us before this episode was your thoughts on therapy and where you feel that therapy can sometimes miss the mark. And I can really relate to this, but I would love for you to expand on this. Yeah. I mean, this is like my taboo. I feel like people are like, oh, let's talk about this because people don't talk about it. Right. Like, and I really think that in the mental health space, we are doing a disservice to people that are like, oh, I went to talk therapy and I still feel like it's not really moving the needle for me. Now, this is not to say that talk therapy does not help. It does. Like some people really need to process what's going on. They need to talk about it. They need to validate what has happened, right, with a professional. Where it misses the mark is that therapy is a top-down approach, meaning it starts with the head. Like you're working with the psyche, you're working with your brain, you're working with the cognitive function and all of that, right? When you have trauma, it is a body experience. Your body holds on to it. So that is where therapy misses the mark is like you're not dealing, you're not bringing the body online first, you're bringing the brain online first. I could, I just completely agree with you. Um, I actually mentioned in previous episodes that I started therapy when I was a kid and I never did it again until I was 35 years old because it just did nothing at the time. It wasn't what I needed. And it was, I was constantly sick, like you say, and no one knew what was wrong with me. And I'd constantly go in for blood work and all this stuff. And I was just, my husband always would say, you were built on a Friday. Like there is something that's not right. You were always sick and it's, it's the trauma. Yeah, it is. It's so true. And like, when you see like, not only myself, but like other clients that like, when they start to process this emotional charge out of their body, like their physical symptoms start to go away, like their IBS and their, you know, heart palpitations and their headaches, like these things start to go away because, and even bigger things like joint pain starts to go away because your body's just holding on to that emotional charge. It doesn't just go away because you shove it down. Right. So what did you learn about yourself in this process in terms of trauma and your healing process and how it lives in the body and how you got to this point of helping your clients? And I actually would love to get into that too and what that looks like, because I think this is such an incredible opportunity for people to do this with you. Yeah. I always love to give this example for individuals that like are like, what the heck is Allie talking about? So I'll kind of like break it down to like a basic level of like how trauma gets stored in the body. So there was this gentleman named Peter Levine who actually is who I'm studying under and he started somatic experiencing. And what he brought to trauma recovery was around how animals out in the wild, specifically prey, do not get traumatized. So what happens is you go into what is what is called a stress cycle or a trauma cycle, right? And so at the top, you have a trigger. Then you go into fight or flight. Then you go into discharge. And then you go into rest and digest. So over here is where we have like parasympathetic, which people are like, this is where you heal at, right? Right. And most of us go from being triggered and fight or flight, triggered, fight or flight. And when that happens, we build this emotional charge. That charge gets stored in our body, right? And it stays there. It's like this 
lively energy. Like it literally is to keep you alive. But most of us don't complete this full cycle. So we never get into parasympathetic, right? We never completely get to that place. So for my visual learners out there, imagine that you were a little bunny rabbit out in the wild and you there's a coyote that was coming to get you and you hear the coyote break the branch and so you look behind you. That's the trigger, okay? Then you start running. So you go into fight or flight. Then you get to a place where you're actually safe. Like you've outrun the coyote, you've maybe hidden a little spot. So then you have a discharge. This looks differently, but for some people it's like shaking, like the bunny rabbit will start shaking. That's the discharge. It's getting rid of that, the cortisol, all of that stuff. It's actually releasing it from its body. Right. And then you go into rest and digest. Okay. So another example of this is like you're a mom. What from what I hear, I have never had a baby yet. But from what I hear is like you start shaking when you have a baby. And it freaks a lot of women. It freaks a lot of women out. And depending on who your doctor is, they'll be like, or if you're coming out of surgery, this happened with me. I would be coming out of surgery and start shaking. And they would give me medicine to stop the shaking. That's actually stopping the discharge from coming out of your body. Your body's natural response. Yes. To discharging this like, oh my God, I was in flight mode or fight mode or freeze or whatever. Wow. That's unbelievable. You're right though. That is, first of all, great visual. (laughs) I completely understand (laughs) it. I'm the visual learner, Um, but that makes so, I'm visualizing as you go, but that makes so much sense to me. And also in moments of my life now, even when I'm feeling really triggered by something, I have like this twitch that happens and my, like my husband will be like, oh my gosh, something's wrong. Something's wrong. And I'm like, you know what? I just have to let it go. And that's exactly what you explained. Yeah. It's like your body's natural response, but most people are shutting it down by like holding themselves, holding their body still or with medicine. Like when I said, when you wake up from surgery or having a baby or anything like that, like, or you're numbing in an unhealthy way, like we're trying to shut that down, but really that's the energy that you needed to get through that hard moment. So it has to be processed somehow. Mm-hmm. It has to get out somehow. I love yeah. that. So what what does a session look like with you? How do you run them? How long do they go? Yeah, I mean, it's different for everyone, like what it looks like. But typically, I work with people on a one-on-one capacity. Um, and so we are working together either in Zoom or in person or on Zoom or in person. And yeah. the session looks different. Like sometimes clients come in and we're doing somatic experiencing, which is where we're just helping them to get into their body. Like we're having them, you know, with different tools and techniques, we're having them access their body, we're having them slow down. Sorry, what kind of tools do you use just to get, so people can understand what to expect going into something like that? Yeah, so somatic experiencing, we're using like somatic experiencing tools is what I'm saying that. So we're using like what we would have in a somatic experiencing session, which is like what if someone's if I don't know. Give me an example of someone so I can give you a little bit more context. So do you go into meditation? How do they get inside their body? It's not meditation. It's more like having them access what we call a resource. So a resource is like something in the room, right? Mm -hmm. And then when you have a resource, then you're it's called pendulation where you're coming back in and out of like safety and then a little bit of unsafety. So what I call somatic experiencing is like, it's like taking digestive enzymes. So have you ever taken a digestive enzyme? Yes. Yeah. Yep. So like that's what somatic experiencing is, is that it's slowly kind of chipping away at your nervous system instead of giving you like this big 
push. Like when you do body work, like when I'm doing body work on a client, like that's different. Like we're getting into kind of the fascia tissue. We're like, they're screaming, not because I'm like, I'm not, I'm not hurting them. Right. But like they're screaming, they're angry, they're punching the pillow, they're releasing, like they're having this really big visceral release. So that's why it looks different for each client and what their capacity is and like how much they can hold whatever tool or modality we're using. Wow. That is crazy. Yeah. So if you're doing one-on-one, is it just a one-day session? Is it over a few weeks, a few months? Yeah. So I have different options. So I offer like a VIP day, which is like five hours. And we're working on like one to two areas of your life that can be done in person or over Zoom. And then also I have like three month, six month and year long programs. And so some people are with me for, you know, one to two years. Other people are with me three to six months. So it depends on what people are coming in with. You know, some people come in with like little T traumas, right? And maybe there's like one or two of them. Some people are coming in with a couple of big T traumas. They're coming in with sexual assault, molestation, like they're coming in with bigger stuff, which obviously that's going to take more time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And when you work with the body, how do you know where to start? How do you figure out what area of the body is holding the trauma and how do you get to the point of being able to release it? It's dependent on the person. So as a practitioner, you are watching what's happening in their body. You're watching whether they're disassociating. You're watching where they're holding tension in their body. Okay. So where they're like freezing up. So it's a different place on your body for everybody. Oh, yeah. That is wild. Yeah. I mean, I think about it, right? Like when you have anxiety, some people have it in your chest. Some people have it in your stomach. Some people have it other places. Like some people would be like, oh, my God, my ears start ringing. Right? Mm -hmm. Some people's throat closes in. Like it's different for everyone. So it's not like a cookie cutter approach for every single person because everyone's coming in differently. Everyone is unique. Everyone's body's unique. Everyone's stress patterning or trauma patterning in their body is different. So we have to look at that and address it when we're when we're working with the body. It's not just like, oh, I start with their left shoulder, right? Like Right. It's not yep. somewhere specific in the body. It's really just patient client dependent. Yeah. Because I know that when I'm very stressed, my shoulders, I'm like constantly like holding up my shoulders or like clenching my jaw, doing that kind of thing. And I can feel it in my body and I'm sore the next day from how hard I'm holding on yeah. to it. Yeah. TMJ is so common, right? With trauma and clenching and that's like freeze mode. Yeah. That is crazy. So when you when you were specifically working on your own trauma and working with your trauma recovery coach, how long were you in that system with him for? Yeah. It was about three and a half to four years. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. I imagine too, it's, I mean, living, I always say too, we talk about as a marriage, being the person on the other side of it is really hard and often also not talked about to be the person trying to navigate their spouse or their partner going through this traumatic experience, right? And being able to navigate their healing journey. It's really difficult. Yep, completely. I mean, Ryan, my husband, is a gift from above and he has to do his own work as well, right? Because, like, me being in intense trauma recovery was also bringing up his stuff. And because he also lost people, that was bringing up a lot of his pain. So it's really interesting. Like, we have a, have a cool kind of story in that regards. Like, we both got sober on the same day. We've, you know, we've had each other through trauma recovery and sobriety and, 
So I feel like that's been incredible because we've both kind of been on this like parallel but also really separate journey. But yeah, I mean, if he didn't get the support that he also needed because my stuff was triggering his stuff, right? We talk about like being in the resonance field, which is what you learn in somatic experiencing, like the when you're going through it, is like your nervous systems are pinging off of each other, right? So we feel this when people are like, oh, I don't like yes. their energy. Oh, I, I don't like them. It's actually because either your nervous systems are like, oh, we love this or oh, we don't like this, right? It's an actual thing. There's like studies on this, right? Yeah. So when you're in trauma recovery and you come home and you're coming home from an intense session, like your nervous, your nervous system is going to be either triggering the heck out of them or they're going to be able to match it. So it's going to naturally bring up their own stuff, right? They're going to have to have to work on their own mental health as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We talk about this a lot too, because my husband had to do the same thing and it was like, one person can't be working on it and the other person not. And he, he really dove deep into that as well. And I completely agree with you. It just like kind of triggered his own stuff that he didn't even realize was sitting there. And we have kind of gone through that together as well. And it's such a beautiful thing when your partner is willing to meet you in that space and be able to also join you on that journey, because it really, it takes a lot of patience and love and connection and understanding, right? And if they don't start working on their stuff as well and diving deep into that, they can't really understand you because it's a really complicated thing, right? It's so complicated. It's very complex. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, I mean, I I think that's something that people don't talk about is like when you're on your own journey and I love that you're bringing that up is like when you're on your own journey like that your partner is inevitably going to have to do the work. Yeah. Like or else it's just not going to work out. It's not. No. No, and we talked too about how my husband and I always have this conversation how he was actually really afraid in the beginning for me to start going through this process yes. and healing my own stuff because this is the only me he knew and he didn't know who, a, who I'd be on the other side of it and B, if I'd still like him or if he'd still like me, like it's actually like kind of scary, right? Yeah. Because I think about it, if you've built, yeah, totally. If you've built your relationship off of like these people, like for me, it was like these people pleasing tendencies or drinking and that's how I socialize and that's how I engage with people. Like, and it was an unhealthy addict way. Right. But like, mm-hmm. that's the only way that I could relate to these people. And so the minute that that had to change, it's like, oh, well, all of these other things in my life also have to change. And that's something that I feel like people, especially, you know, when there's codependency, which is normal when you have childhood developmental trauma, like that is a really scary thing to be like these people that I love, like, am I going to be able to relate to them again? Like, I'm lifting the veil up. It's a really scary thing. Yeah, it's a really scary thing. And I love what you said about also not drinking. So did you find that alcohol, for me, alcohol A triggers my anxiety. My next day alcohol anxiety is off the charts. I'm overthinking everything. Every horrible thing that went wrong in my life and every stupid thing I ever said is running through my mind. And it really, my anxiety was off the charts, off the charts. And I imagine a lot of people that have trauma probably feel the same way and are really triggered by alcohol. Yeah. For me, it was a little like completely. Yes. And also it was that I needed to be in recovery from it. So when I was 15 and had the rape that happened, I was drinking and they had also like laced our 
weed. And it was the first time I'd ever tried weed. Like it was just a bad combination. So every single time I would drink, I was drinking to escape. And I was also being triggered while I was drinking, right? From the sexual assault. And then it was like, I couldn't engage in any sort of like sexual activity without being drunk. And then it turned into a coping mechanism and a very unhealthy one. Almost died at 15 from alcohol poisoning. Very bad things. There were definitely times throughout my drinking career that I would just shove it under the rug how blacked out I was. Waking up in my own throw up. Just bad stuff that I was like, I have a problem and I need to get support for this. Right? So, And my husband was the same way. Like We're both in active recovery for alcohol. But completely. I mean, the anxiety and all of it. So you're four and a half years in active yeah, recovery. Four and a half. Yep. Yeah. That's amazing. I love that. And you know, as you're speaking and saying all of this, it's like, I'm looking in a mirror while you're talking back to me because I completely relate to you. Everything you're saying is just like exactly my experience. And I imagine hearing it is a lot of people are feeling seen as well, which also leads me to say that this is why I love speaking to people exactly like you who have been through all of these things that a none of us talk about right and it's so taboo but to look where you are and how you've taken these scars essentially and turned them into this beautiful life and all the resiliency that you have like it is possible i just think it is so beautiful for people to be able to see that totally yeah and i also think too is like it's no easy feat it's challenging because you have to change and you have to grow and you have to hold a mirror to yourself and go, this is unhealthy or this is not the life that I want. Or I now have to deal with this thing that I've been shoving down and thinking it was a dream or it's coming back in a dream, right? These things are, they have to be worked through because they just get stored. Yeah, for sure. And I don't know if your experience was the same, but I mean, in the process of going through healing, there's like this bright light, this bright spotlight that's on these really toxic relationships that you've had in your life and that you have surrounded yourself with. And suddenly those relationships don't fit in your life anymore. So not only are you facing all of this trauma and processing it, you're also going through a real big season of loss where there's these relationships Mm. that you thought meant a lot to you that were, you know, a part of your everyday life that were just comfortable, even though they were toxic, they were toxic, comfortable that you're having to say goodbye to because they don't fit in your life and you probably don't fit in theirs anymore either. Right? Like there's so many elements that come into it when you are going through this process that are really hard. Uh, Yeah. I mean, like such a good point. Like, I think that is one of the hardest things I personally have ever gone through and I'm still going through and witness clients go through is when it's like, I call it the matrix, right? Have you watched the matrix? Yes. Where they wake up and then they like, can't go back into the little tube. Like, I feel like that is trauma recovery because you're like, oh my gosh, there's another world out there and these people are really toxic. And like, I am also feeding into this toxicity. Like I'm also toxic because I'm feeding into this and this is how I'm like getting love and support, but it's really unhealthy. But I thought that it was healthy because it's better than what I had as a kid or whatever, right? Like, yeah, it is. It's so challenging. And I reposted this today on Instagram. Someone posted it, but they said like, the people when you start, it was something like this was like, when you start healing, the people in your life are going to remember the version of you that they could control the best. And I was like, absolutely. Wow. That 
hits. Because when you go, actually, this when you hold the boundary within yourself, right? Most of us think that we have, have to hold the boundary like this, but it's really about holding a boundary within yourself. Like when you hold that boundary in yourself that like, I don't know, a family member is not going to talk to you that way or an aunt's not going to do that or X, Y, and Z, then they're like, they point the finger at you Then you become the patient. Then you become the, the, the thing that's wrong. Then you're alienated because you're breaking the cycle. Yes, it couldn't be more true. I, I fully relate to that. It's a really hard season of loss when you're going through this. Yeah, you said it perfectly. It is. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. loss, it it's is. grief. I'm, I'm still yeah. going through it, right? So, and as you work through the body and you're working with your clients, are, do you see couples come in together? Like speaking back to how, you know, you can't do it on your own. Do you, do couples come to you as a pair? Do you do that? I don't do couples. no. I just, I, I feel like right now at this point, I always refer out to someone that does couples that has more experience right. in that because I just don't feel equipped at this point to do couples. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine that it would be really incredibly overwhelming, but I would imagine that as one person is going through it, the next, I know that for myself, my husband would be like, okay, my turn. Like it's time for yeah. me to deal with this because <laughs> once you start to see the change in somebody, it's it's infectious. Like you can't lose it. You don't, you yes. want to be a part of it. Like once you get to a certain point, you're like, give me more of this. I want more of what you're doing because it's so inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is good. It's, I mean, yeah. How can you not? Right. It's like when you're, for me, it was like, I was having these really big triggering moments over and over and over again. And then when those started to get less then Ryan's like, Hmm, something's changing. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I want that. Like, how does that change? How are you not having this huge reaction to this thing that would normally spin you out for days? Yeah, exactly. You're a different person, right? Yeah. You can handle so much more. You're so much more equipped for sure. Yeah. I love that. I love, I love what you're doing. I love the initiatives that you have brought forward. And I just think you're doing such an incredible job. I really, I said it at the beginning, but there really is not enough of this in the world. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's so funny because when I look at, you know, like, I feel like I'm so zoomed in on this work. So I'm always, I'm like, everyone's doing it, right? Like, everyone's doing this work. Like, I feel like I'm so zoomed in on it. And then when I kind of zoom out, I'm like, oh, I guess you're right. Like, people, there isn't enough people that are focusing on trauma recovery and like mental health. So I appreciate Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah. I think too, because when you're in it and you're, you're getting to the point where I know I hit emotional rock bottom and that was it for me. I couldn't pull it together anymore. And I remember saying to my husband, I think I need to go somewhere. Like, I don't think it's fair that there is rehab for alcohol addiction and drug addiction, but I'm dealing with this incredible thing that is completely taken over my body and I have nowhere to go. I have no help. I can maybe get an appointment once a week with somebody, but I have that does nothing. Like I need somewhere that I can go. Yeah, that's my goal. That's my five to ten year goal is to have like a healing retreat where people can go. Yes, I love that idea. Somewhere where people can go for a week or two and like really just, you know, I I love that because I actually we had talked about this too. And I was like, I wish that there was somewhere where I could go to deal with the things going on in my body, in my mind, and eat fresh farm to table food because I really believe that food is also medicine and where you can feel good about yourself and really um just hone in on what it is you need to do. Because yeah you don't get many opportunities like that in life, right? No. Yeah. And you know, I feel like too, is that now 
people are actually like looking at their mental health in that capacity. But it's so true. I mean, you're so right. We have recovery for addiction and it's like trauma is also like creates addiction, right? At the root of all addiction. Like, I don't know. Do you follow Gabor Mate? Yes, I, I do. Him. Love him. I don't know if I'm saying his name correctly, but I think that's how you I'm are. Gabor Mate. Like, okay, yeah. okay. Okay. I mean, he always talks about this at the root of all addiction is trauma, right? It was like, yeah. if we can work trauma out of the body and help people find more capacity and more regulation and more tools, right? Like then addiction would be less and less, hopefully is the, is the goal, right? Yeah, exactly. We're, we're, we're punishing people, but we're not actually giving them resources at the very beginning that can help them to be able to stop the addiction, right? And have connection. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is key in what you're doing is you are helping people process things through their body, but at the same time, you're giving them connection. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a really big part of it. I mean, I'm sure you felt that way too, is like someone that is like, oh, they've gone through it and they're also like helping people in this capacity, right? Like you relate that way to people mm-hmm, so much very more. Much. Like, oh, I can, yeah, I can see that you're human. I can see that you you're having a human experience as well, or you've had a human experience, or you're a little bit farther along than I am, right? Like the humanness component of it is so huge. I love that you said that because even speaking about um, Dr. Gabor Mate, he has a documentary um, and it's on addiction and healing. I'm not sure if you've seen it, but I have have a mother who was addicted to drugs and I've spent my entire life thinking like, uh, that's not a disease. Like I'm mad. She chose me over it. I had zero patience for people that had addiction and that documentary actually completely changed my perspective on it. And I wasn't able to forgive her, but it also, it humanized her. Like on a human level, I was able to say like, okay, I see your pain. I don't necessarily see the pain you caused me. I'm actually like human to human. There was something there for you that you didn't have. Like you, you didn't process your pain. It's still stuck there. And she was just really trying to find a way to ignore it. Like we all do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Was that the wisdom of trauma? Yes. So it was. It was so good, right? It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. It completely changed my perspective on it, on all of it. Wow. That's really, that's really impactful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's amazing. He's actually like my dream guest. I would love to be able to sit down and have a conversation with him. Yes. It's going to happen. He's going to be on. (laughs) He will. He will. And when he he does, I'll invite you so we can ask him all our questions. Please do. (laughs) Yeah. He's amazing. Um, You know, looking back at your journey, and all the things you've been through from 13 to 15 and on and everything on your honeymoon and your husband and all the, the loss that you guys have experienced and where you are now, I would love to know what is one piece of advice you would tell your younger self? Mm. You know, I have this sign in my office and it's like a hot pink sign and it's neon and it just says, it's okay to not be okay. And it's like something that I needed to hear back then, something that sometimes I still need to hear now because Mm -hmm. I just remember feeling so depressed at that age. Like I can viscerally remember the age that I felt depression, I think was like fourth or four or five, right? Like, and I remember just feeling like I needed to still be this energizer bunny and just push through. And like, I wish that like someone just told me like, honey, it's okay. Like, it's okay to not be okay. You know? 
Yeah. So true. I love that. I really love that. It's actually something I tell, I have a 10 year old daughter and it's something I tell her all the time that it, whatever you're feeling, that's okay. Like let's, yeah. there's nothing we can't fix and let's, let's feel it. Like we don't need to shove this away and it's okay that this is where you are. Yeah. What about you? What's something that you would say? <laughs> you know, I spent so many years thinking that this was it, that psychological life sentence, like these are the cards I was dealt. And I wish that I could tell my younger self that it's possible to be better, that it's not a psychological life sentence, that it's really, really possible to have an incredible life. Someone, you you can love yourself, right? Like I always, I remember having these wild, irrational fears when I was younger and probably like 10 and really worked up that I would never have children, that I would never oh my get God, married. I have, same, same. Nobody would love same. me. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Wild. Right. Yes. So yeah, yes. I, it's crazy that you felt the same thing. Cause I had these wild irrational fears that I would just spend my life alone and nobody would ever love me. And first I, I love myself. Now I spent a lot of years, you know, not liking myself for the choices I made and being really embarrassed by the choices I made. And I just wish I knew that, you know, it's possible to be better. It's, it's so possible to love yourself, to be loved. And you're not, it's not a life sentence. Yeah. I love that. I think a lot of people mm-hmm. think that it is, you know, I felt that way that I thought it was a life sentence. I think that's part of the healing journey. Totally. And when you're in it, it's just like these four black walls and you can't see beyond it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's wild. That. The irrational fear around not getting married or having kids. Girl. I feel that so deeply to my core. Like, I remember I would like cry to my mom, like little girl, Allie, like seven years old. Me like, too. Cry, like out of nowhere. And she'd be like, where is this coming from? Like, she's so oblivious, <laughs> right? But like, like so irrational. But I think that's what happens when you have, or I know that's what happens when you have developmental trauma because your brain is trying to like click that something is not going to happen, right? Yes, Yeah. And I always just wished my childhood away. Like I just wished I was older. Like for some reason in my head, I was like, when I hit this age, everything (laughs) is going to be okay. (laughs) Yes. Or you're like, exactly. You like fantasize, you romanticize when you're like 25 or when you're this age. And then you're like, oh my God, I've hit it. And like, it's not what I thought it was going to be, but it's, it's okay. Yeah. No, I had a quarter life crisis at 25. I was like, all my friends have gone to university and they have these long-term boyfriends and they have all this stuff. And I was like, oh my gosh, like what am I, I had a quarter life crisis. I broke up with my husband, like my boyfriend, who's my husband now. And I was like, I just, I gotta find myself. I don't know what's going on. I don't know who I am or what to do with these hands. Like I have no idea. (laughs) So funny. Yeah. So true. It's so relatable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Right. So you always feel, I mean, I posted something on Instagram today, um, about feeling like everyone else was always ahead of you when you were younger because you were in survival mode. Right. And it's true. Those people probably were ahead of me because they weren't focused on surviving. Surviving. Right. I, I was, and I always felt less than, and I spent my entire life feeling that way. And it's just, I no longer feel that way. And I think that that is one of the beautiful things about healing is that you no longer feel like you're behind. You no longer feel less than. And I would actually argue the other way that I am really grateful for those experiences because I feel that I am really empathetic and 
to a fault. Like I feel what people are feeling, right? I'm yes. picking up on their energies, which I think a lot of trauma survivors do. You have to. Energies every, you that's have how to, you right? survived, right? As you mm-hmm. were like in fight or flight. So you're constantly looking at what the next threat was. Right. Reading a room, reading people's energies. Um, you know, it's, we would make the best FBI agents, I think. Oh, like I, I say that all the time. I'm like, I think I was a, <laughs> I think I was an FBI agent in past life because I was like, I can oh, like pretty much spot when I'm like, someone is off. I'm like, that is not going to go well. Like, yeah, yeah. I can spot it a mile away. My husband yeah. always is like, you're so hard on people and blah blah blah. And I'm like, okay, but was I right? Yeah. <laughs> but how did this turn out? So you tell me. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yes. I'm so good at it. And I think that, yeah, you're right. Like trauma survivors, we have to read a room before we enter it. Right. And sometimes I am, um, it's hard. Sometimes I'm picking up on what other people are feeling and you probably experience this too. And it really brings you down sometimes because you're feeling the pain that they feel. Yeah. I mean, that's been a really big learning curve in just like business wise is like how to set my own container and not take on other people's emotions. Cause like that's how most people that are mental health professionals do burn out is cause you're just like taking on everything as your own. And like that has been another like really, really big season of growth of just like learning how not to yes. do that. But yeah, I mean, it's hard because you, don't want to come off like a, you know, a B-I-T-C-H, but like you also are like, I am reading this and like, you're just not, I can't, this is not, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm so sorry. You know? Yeah. Like I don't yeah, have the tolerance totally. for this. Yeah. It's funny what changes after you start this process, right? What you yeah. are willing to take on anymore. But in your line of work, I imagine it's really difficult to leave it at work and not bring it home. Yeah. You know, something that has really been great in the last year is I got back into horseback riding. So I used to do that when I was a little girl. And that has been a really good transition for me because then you can like connect with an animal before I go home. But I love that. Yeah. That has been a good, like, I definitely have to have a transition period before I get home. Right. So you, you have something that you do before you get there to bring you down, bring you back to earth and recenter. Yeah. I have to have it. Mm-hmm. I have to have something. Yeah. Like and that. for you, that's that's horse riding. Yeah. Or just going to the barn. Like I'm just such an animal gal and I like completely just kind of disconnected for that for a really long time. And I'm like, this that has also been a really big like having a hobby in that capacity has been really yeah, great for, for me sure. to be like I'm leave work at work. For sure. I imagine yeah. that's something that you um, you know, pass on to your clients as well. I mean, after a session like that, it's they're probably exhausted, right? And so to work with the body is just like completely draining. And do you what do you suggest that they do when they go home so that they're not um, you know, putting that on the people that they love and that they share their life with? Yeah. Taking a minute, like and not just like one minute, but like taking a beat. If you need to go and like walk around, if you need to sit in your car for 25 minutes out in the parking lot, if you need to go and like, you know, I always encourage my clients to have a hobby. People think that like listening to true crime is a, is a hobby. So we have to like rework that a little bit, you know, like, so that's yeah. the whole thing too <laughs> around like, they're like, uh, watching TV. I was like, not really a hobby, but like still a decompression tool. Right. But like, right. you know, so we work on that, but that, you know, you have to have the discipline. I think this is the biggest part with healing is like, you have to have the discipline to know that you're not in a great headspace and you're taking on something or you're really working through something heavy 
So like give yourself more time so that you aren't mm-hmm. you know, hemorrhaging or putting it on your partner, significant yeah. other or roommate or whoever. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it is really exhausting. Yes. It is. I think people under and underestimate, um, you know, how, how you will feel afterwards, after those hard sessions. And after, you know, you're really processing those things, it's emotional. And I had spoke to how, when I was in the thick of it, you know, there were days where I couldn't get out of bed. Like I was launching my, my boutique and I would like, in a dark room, couldn't get out of bed. And then I would be like, Oh, I have to post something at this time. So I'd get up and post and then go back and lay right back down. And I know not everyone has this opportunity to take that time, but I was in a season of life where my husband was able to just really give me the space to be able to do that. And I know that you did the same thing. You just dove deep into your healing. Like you made it a priority. Right. And so did I. Everything else went away and I had to just, it was like, I give it this now or I spend the rest of my life running from this and I'm exhausted. You know, it's also like I, there's a piece, like my mentor always talks about this, like of integrity when you're healing. Cause I think right now, like trauma and like mental health is so trendy and I love it because it's like, I love it and I hate it. It's a double-edged sword. Like it's bringing a lot of awareness to the fact that we need all need to focus on our mental health and that if you do have trauma, like you need to work on it, right? It's also like a little, to me, kind of just quick and fast and trendy and like a dopamine hit and doesn't actually show you the raw days. Like when I am crying or like at that time when I was like crying and like really sobbing, I was not filming myself. No. I was not having these moments of like really showing how dark it gets and how deep it gets, right? Mm -hmm. Because that was not the first thing that was on my mind. The first thing that I was on my mind is like, I like am having an anxiety attack, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do I get, I'm like, I'm, I'm triggered and I'm re-traumatizing myself right now in the moment, right? Yeah, for sure. You know, I love that you said that because a lot of people who haven't quite stepped into that space of being able to go down that path of healing yet, it's, you're right. People don't talk about it and people don't show those super dark days where you can't get out of bed, where you're crying so hard, you can't catch your breath, where, you know, you just, you can't comprehend anything other than the pain. And I imagine, I know for myself when I was going through it, because no one talks about it, I felt really like there was something wrong with me. Yes. When in reality, there was nothing wrong with me. I was just, it's the process. It's what you go through. And I felt, you know, I felt, I remember telling my husband, I feel so useless. Like, I am sorry. I can't take our daughter to dance. I can't make dinner tonight. I can't get up and do laundry. I can't do X, Y, and Z. I'm so useless. I'm letting you down. And like, I imagine so many feel that way but it is really all part of it. And you just need to give yourself the grace and the space to do it and feel it. Yeah. I talk about that in my courses. Like I have an online course and I always tell people, talk to people about like the healing crisis, like dark night of the soul, like these like things that like when you learn these terms, which like essentially the dark night of the soul is like what we're talking about. It's like you are having a literal breakdown and it's Mm -hmm. like, you can't see any way through it. You're like, I don't know how to, like, you're in a black hole, it feels like, right? Yeah. There's no shining light. Like, you don't know if you're going to come out the other side. You feel a little crazy. You're like, no one's talking Mm -hmm. about this. Like, am I going crazy? Am I having a manic episode? Like, what the heck is happening? Right? Yeah. 
And like that is part of it because you've suppressed these feelings that actually we're supposed to be feeling after the event. But you've suppressed them for so long. And now it's like your life is like, for me, it was like my life on paper was perfect when all this stuff was happening. Like my parents had just bought me as a home at like fresh out of college. Like I was living with my then boyfriend, now husband, like everything was taken care of for. And I'm like, something is wrong with me. I need to be checked into somewhere. Something is wrong. Right? Yes. Yeah. And if I didn't find my trauma recovery person, like, and he, thank God he is blessing. But like, if he hadn't done this for 40 years and I really trusted him, I'd be like, no, there's literally something wrong with me. You don't understand. But like, Mm -hmm. it's part of it because those emotions, those really deep, dark emotions were the things that I was supposed to be feeling when those said big T events happened, Mm -hmm. right? But I just shoved them down. So I'm like, this doesn't fit. And that's trauma. It's like, it's your past and it's coming into your present and you're reenacting it in your present. So it doesn't fit anymore. No, and it comes at the most inconvenient time. Oh, yes. The worst time. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. As you're saying it, I'm like, tick, 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 because all of those exact things happened to me too. We had, you know, just bought a house at a lake and we got a boat and like, like I was launching my dream business and everything on paper, people would be like, what is, I, I, I was like, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with me? And it was, you know, you ignore it long enough. It's going to happen. Just like, you know, if you ignore your sickness long enough, it's going to get you at the most inconvenient time. And it's, it's true. It's the same. And I think so many people feel exactly what you said. What is wrong with me? There's something wrong with me because everything else is perfect. Yeah. Or it's like, you have this idea in your head. Like I look at, you know, like I I look at some of these like celebrities that we've heard about as of late that have passed away, like and have struggled with their mental health, like Twitch and Dave Hollis and like, and I'm like, in my head, I'm thinking we're in the middle of a mental health pandemic. 100%. And I honestly think that a lot of people think if I only hit this amount of money, if I hit this amount of success, if I hit this status, if I have this many followers, if I have this book out, whatever the thing is, if I, you know, launch a podcast and make it blah, 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 a million downloads, whatever the thing is like, and then you hit the thing or for us, it's like you have a house and you have a significant other, which like these little things is like little four-year-olds, Allie and Jessalyn never thought would happen. Like, and they're happening. And then your life blows up because trauma is like, Hey, You've been ignoring me for a hell of a long time and I'm here. Totally. Yes. Yes. You're 100% right. Yeah. And people don't talk about that. They think that they're like crazy. It's like, Mm -hmm. no, that is trauma. Yeah. It's trauma. End of story. You're 100% right. And even, I don't know if you experience this post healing and post going through that. I truly believe that healing is just like continuous. It never ends. There's always, it's always going to be in my life. But even, you know, we again made our dream move to Kelowna. We now live in Kelowna, BC and it's like gorgeous here. We've dreamt of moving here for so long. And all of a sudden my husband and I are both experiencing this where things are coming up and we're like, "Mm, it's your brain, your trauma brain trying to keep you small trying to keep you in a toxic environment because that's what's comfortable. That's all that you know. And it's, Luckily, if you get to the point where you have those tools and those resources like you to be able to push past that, it it can get so gorgeous on the other side, right? But that trauma brain, it it takes a lot of patience and retraining it to 
really shut it down and be able to move past. Oh, completely. Like that's where I feel like the, you know, um, subconscious reprogramming and like that kind of stuff can come in really helpful. Like after you've worked with the body and like, then you're in this space, like, I feel like that's been the biggest kind of shift for me in the last two years is actually working with the beliefs. Cause now my body's like online. Now my beliefs need to catch up. Right. Right. So then that's the next step. Yeah. Is like the beliefs, right. Is like, Oh, okay. My brain wants to go here now. Like, and what's the new belief pattern that I can reprogram it? And I always tell my clients, this is it's like skiing. Like, I don't know. Do you ski? We do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. I always say it's like your brain like is like in the groomers, right? Like it wants to go down the same groomed run and it might, you know, it might catch an edge here and fall and there's a branch and like, you're going to have like a minute at this point, you're going to have to stop and take a breath. But I'm like in my work with them, I'm like, let's go over here and let's just look at like this powdered run. Cause we just have a really big storm. And they're like, no, 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 no. Your brain's like, no, 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 no. Because I don't know if I'm going to fall and die. Right. Yeah. Totally. It is like you have to be like, we're just going to go a foot and then we're going to stop and then we're going to go another foot and then we're going to stop. Then we might go 10 feet and then stop. Right. Like, yeah. And that is like the next challenge of it. But mm-hmm. it's, I, I mean, that. I think we're talking about like the heavy, which it is like there is so much heaviness, is, but I will tell you that I never thought I could find this much freedom in my entire life. Like, same. You know, like just waking up with, no anxiety. Like when I wake up with anxiety, if I have like a launch or something, I'm like, this is weird. What's happening? Like, it's so foreign to me now that I'm like, I don't really wake up with anxiety. And when I do, it feels so foreign. I'm like, what is happening? Yeah. You're like, I need to actually pay attention to this because something's not right. I, I know what you mean because it's actually very strange to be living a life where you don't feel that every day. I never yes. thought that was possible, Allie. Like I really and truly never thought that was possible. And I imagine so many people listening right now also are he- listening to us going, yeah, no, that's actually, I, I don't understand you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I have that too with clients who are like, I just don't think that'll ever be a thing. And I'm like, I get it. Cause I also thought that way, but like, yeah, it will, it will. I just remember, you know, my trauma recovery guy just being like, I promise it's going to change. It's going to change. And I'm like, thank God it did. And like, I never would be here today if it didn't shift. Right. Totally. Yeah. And do you feel too that once it did, it felt like an eternity to get there. But once it did, you were like, oh gosh, that was a lot quicker than I anticipated. Yeah. Always. (laughs) Feels like yesterday. I feel like that's everything. (laughs) Always. I'm like, oh my God, that's actually really fast. But in the middle of it, I thought it was taking, you know, decades. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I just, for everyone who's listening, and I imagine you would agree with me, I just want everyone to hear me say it is so worth it. The work is worth it. Like you said, on the other side, it's almost like living in a dream world. Like you, I often refer to it as that movie Pleasantville, like when it's all in black and white, and then all of a sudden everything comes into color and you're like, I had no idea it could be this beautiful. Like it's, it's bizarre, right? It's, it's amazing. It's beautiful. Yeah. Well, that's it. Cause when you're in fight or flight, you literally have blinders on. You have blinders on so you can't see left or right. And then when you come out of fight or flight, you're like, oh my God, there's a computer. There's my Stanley cup. There's a mic. Like, oh, hey, Jessalyn. Like you're looking at things. There's a whole, like, you're not just like, okay, what's next? Like you're not just hunkered down. And it is, you know, going back to Melissa with Tepperberg, because I just adore her. But like one of her quotes is like, she always says, you are the longest person that you will ever be in a relationship with. So like make it count. And I'm, I, 
love that quote because it's so true. Like you have to invest in it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, it's a hundred percent true. It's the most important relationship you will ever have is with yourself because, you know, as a partner, as a mother, a friend, it's, I can't give from an empty cup. And I'm Mm -hmm. really, I was at the point where I was just like, you felt it too, right? You have nothing left to give. Yep. I've got nothing for you and I've got nothing for me. So, yep. I mean, I would, I, my ex question is actually when your clients come to you, what stage at healing are they in? You know, the beginning. Yeah. For the most part. I mean, I had a client come to me that he did like over 20 years of like different types of talk therapy. And it was really challenging for him to live 30 seconds in his body. Yeah. Like literally 30 seconds in his body. Mm-hmm. And even though he had been to talk therapy for 20 years, it was like, he's like, I still feel like this is the beginning. I'm like, right. Because this is the thing is that when you have been through trauma, you also are really scrappy just by nature. Like, cause you know how to get things done and looking like mm-hmm. you know how to do it. Right. So you got to kind of like fake it till you make it. Like this is yeah. why. And with that, you become so good at learning terms and cognitively, like you're, you use like your, your brain kind of as like this almost like gate to getting into your body. Mm-hmm. So he could intellectualize the heck out of everything, right? Yeah. And most of us do that. And that's why we say like talk therapy can only get you to a point because it's really like your body's where it's going to heal. So like for that example, I would say like that would still be like beginning stages because like the body didn't come online. But most of my clients are like, oh, I've tried talk therapy. It's not really helping. So I would say like they're in the first year collectively, like, you know, out of all their time that they've done, like any mental Mm -hmm. health support. I know. And the reason I asked you is because I know from experience when you are feeling that out of control feeling where you want to rip your skin off, where you can't focus on one thing at a time um, and you're lost and you literally don't know what the next right thing is to do. You don't know where to begin. Um, I want people to be able to hear this and think like, I can go see Allie and come to you and say, I don't know where to start. Can you help me? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah. And I've also had people that have like tried a lot of other things like body wise, right? They'll be like, mm-hmm. I've tried this technique and that technique. And I've done like, you know, different types of like myofascial release, et cetera. And then they'll come to me and they'll be like, I've never been able to release my anger that way. Right. So yeah, it's just dependent. I feel like it, you know, and it you yeah. have to be with a practitioner where you feel seen and comfortable. That's another really big part of it. It's like, if you don't feel seen and comfortable, then you're not going to open up and then you're not going to let your body come online. For sure. Yes. I a hundred percent believe that. Like it's not a one size fits all, right? You do have to really be able to let down your walls with the person. So do you do consultations before? Is that kind of how you work it? So I have people fill out an application and then we go from there and then we'll do an alignment call. Yeah. That's amazing. And you do, you also do online, right? So you can work with people from all over the world. So it doesn't matter where you are listening to this right now. If you are interested in hearing what Allie has to say or working with her that you can work with them. Yeah. Yeah. I work with, I've worked with people in Europe. I've worked with people in Thailand. I've worked with people. Yeah. All over Canada, New York. I'm in California. So all over. 
No, that's amazing. And you also do one-on-one in, in person. Like I would love to come to California to work with you. Oh I want to do yes. this online thing. Yes. I want to come to California. <laughs> come do a VIP day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's amazing. And um, you know, where can people find you on social media, your website? How can they get a hold of you? Yeah, everything is AllieCates.co. So my Instagram handle, Twitter, all the things, threads now, you know, AllieCates.co. And my website is also AllieCates.co. Oh, I love that. Ali, thank you so much for being here. I like, I've been looking forward to this conversation for so long. I just love what you're doing. You are so relatable. You You are so warm and welcoming. Like I just imagine that you, your clients just love you. And I know you're doing such amazing things for people. So I just applaud you for that because this is so, so needed. And I can't wait for your retreat to come out when you can open a space and take, right? Like we're going to put that into the universe (laughs) universe, because it needs to happen. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me on. I just appreciate and adore you. I just love what you're doing and the way that you have been able to turn your story and like turn it into light, like to help other people because it can feel really shameful, right? Very shameful. The shame is heavy. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm really excited and really proud of you. And I'm so grateful that we've got to connect. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope that today's episode provided insight, inspiration, and comfort to anyone who is dealing with the effects of trauma. Remember, you are not defined by your scars and you are not alone in your healing journey. If you enjoyed listening, please make sure to rate, review, and share this episode with a friend who could benefit from listening. We'll see you next week. Thank you.